Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Oh my goodness. It's a counter-attack. Here's Didier Drogba. And now Kedir in the middle. Drogba goes. Stretch it. Stretch it. Mix it on when you do. Stretch it. Chelsea 2. Stretch it. And Didier Drogba has. Drogba in the centre. McCoy just came to the ground and was four wide. Now going back madness. Money at the ball. Possibly bleak as this. Welcome everybody to another episode of Chessie Hour. I am your host once again, Daniel Soft, and I'm joined by two married men. I'm joined first and foremost by Buzzy. Buzzy, how you doing, bro? I'm good, Dan. How are you? All good. Good to have you on. Obviously, um, we're going to talk about Pulisic as well. So I thought, let me let me get a. An American representative. I hope you watched the. Did you watch the match? The American. I did. I did. Okay, cool. And then we've got um, my friend Alexis. What are you saying, bro? Not too bad, brother. How are you? All good. The villain. Every single time you're causing, you can't go a week without causing trouble on the timeline. It's not my fault. I speak the truth, and they don't like it. <laughs> oh man. All right. Cool. So no matches, no Chelsea matches. International break, but obviously plenty of Chelsea players played, and there's always football in it. There's always going to be something. So I was gonna at first I was gonna talk about a documentary because uh, like I consider serious Chelsea fans to have watched it. So, like even have you guys watched part one? At least part one, Alexis Fuzzy. No, I'll be honest, I haven't. I was watching Filthy Row. I was going to put it on, but then I put Filthy. <laughs> and we don't. I'm gonna have to edit that out. We don't even promote. Apologies. All right, cool. So, um, so a lot of Chelsea fans would have watched it. Documentary. There's two parts: part one and part two. Go and watch it if you haven't. If you listen to it, go and watch it. Obviously, finish the pod first. You know what I'm saying? But um, basically, it's just like a behind the scenes of what happened um, in Porto. They focus, I think it's three people there. And I'm trying to remember, I think it's Czech, it's Rudiger, and then it's uh, Havertz. And they're doing like the one-on-one interviews. I was going to ask you guys' opinion on it, but I'll just tell you mine and we can get into the rest of the thing. So... My learnings, and I think you should go and watch it and see, and just kind of see if um, what I found corroborates. But number one, you'll find that Rudiger is a stone cold killer. Like even though but his cadence, his cadence is like he should be playing a villain in the movie. Like, do you know those people? Do you know people that they say the people that talk the most? They're the ones that don't really do anything. Like even just the fact that he his economy of words made him scary. So watch out for that if you haven't watched it. Also. It was weird 
because they really focused in on the players. You know, like um, as the Man City match was um, happening, we obviously scored the goals. And as obviously the, the um, clock was counting down, the tension was building because it was just a one goal lead. And then we got to really hear the players that were on the bench and how they experienced um, the final. So it was almost like goggle box, but just for the players watching the final, it was crazy. Werner isn't a serious guy at all. That's what I like, <laughs> watch it. Werner is not serious. I, I don't know if you've seen that. He's done that um, video with that, that girl that does chicken shop day. Yeah. yeah. He's hilarious. He's naturally hilarious. But like, when you watch that, you just know he's not serious. He's not a serious guy at all. And, and I'm not going to say exactly what he does. So watch out for that. Also, a, a good thing seeing, obviously, as P captain, Roman Abramovich was there. And that was like the first time I think he was at a live Chelsea game in a long time. And Roman has like Kante energy. Do you know, like when everyone's celebrating, he tries to go to the side. Yeah, it's kind of kind of shy, kind of awkward. Yeah. So as he's a millionaire, he's done it all. He doesn't really care, does he? What did you say? Did you say he's a millionaire? A billionaire. Okay, maybe. cool. I just had to. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Aspi actually went to go and seek him out, and he he said, "Look, this is you. Come out, come and join us." So it was good, and you could just see that he loves it still, and he just looked uber rich. Like his hair wasn't grey, it was platinum. The skin was like so moisture. It just looked uber rich. It's crazy. Um, but what was good as well in terms of the bench watching, they were all super supportive. We know that Tammy basically didn't play a part in in anything since Tuchel came in. But he looked obviously uh, with Tammy. A lot of his boys growing up, and like I could see it in their faces. They were looking out um, at each other as the clock was counting down. Like. This is actually going to happen. We're we might really do it. I remember Silva too during the game because he came out hurt and then he was he yeah. was like practically coaching. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then finally, and a thing to watch out if you haven't watched it yet is Peter Cech. I think Peter Cech um, is a brilliant signing. I remember he was linked with Balak as the kind of director or whatever role that Peter Cech has taken, and I wasn't really on it. I've got no questions about Balak's support for Chelsea because he's always supporting Chelsea, but. This type of role, you need cerebral people, really intelligent people, and, and Czech is super intelligent. And obviously Tuchel just listening to him and how he understood the emotion of the day and how to control it. Um, obviously he was there just last year, so maybe that kind of helped, but just hearing how he understood the emotion and what was needed, um, it's, he's, I definitely think he's a football genius. And so it was all good. Watch the doc. Like Chelsea ain't even paying me to promote, but I hope I've. I've I was about to say, Dan, did you make this documentary? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like... It does sound like I'm paid to promote now. We haven't got no links to Chelsea. Do you know what I'm saying? So, and I prefer it that way because I can't talk about shit. I, I I like to talk shit about you know. Sometimes, obviously, I like to promote, but sometimes I like to, like to talk shit. And obviously, the closer you get links, not not obviously um, diminishing other podcasts, but the closer you get links, the, the more you don't have interest and opinion. So, um. Editorial independence. Right <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, well, that's rare these days. It's so rare these days. It is, it is so rare these days. But Alexis, I can always trust you to have an honest opinion. I don't want to get, I don't, I'm not, I don't like to talk about things that I'm not particularly passionate about. So Buzzy, I'll bring you in if you're passionate about it. If you're not passionate about it, you don't have to be because you're in America anyway. But we're going to talk about the fact that um, Chelsea renovated one of the stands. I can't even remember what stand it is. And they put the, the season ticket prices up from like a grand to three grand. Everybody's going crazy. Alexis is the villain of the timeline. So I think 
people think that Alexis just tries to take the alternative route, or what do they call those people again? Those people they that... call me edgy. 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 I know you just hate it, like when you have a real opinion and people say, "Oh, you're just doing that for clicks." Oh, you're you're, just... con- you're you're a contrarian. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the word. This is why Buzzy's here. That's why like, well, <laughs> he's here to, to be articulate. Okay, so Alexis, tell me. Can you kind of introduce the topic? Because I've butchered it. Introduce the topic and then tell me your thoughts on it. Essentially, in the West Stand, there are season tickets holders whose tickets range from uh, £1,200. And they received an email saying they'll have to pay either 3000 or 3900 in some cases for their tickets for next season to regain it. Otherwise, the club will not take their ticket away from them but remove them to another seat away from the West End. So the essential issue here is they're trying to make the West End more corporate. Yeah. And fans don't like it, which I feel very indifferent about. And people don't like to hear in both sides of the spectrum. It's, mm-hmm. it's either you agree with them 100% or you're 100% against them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, this is Chessy Hour. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't give, really give a shit about if you agree with me or not, and I'm not even just talking about the people listening or the people on Twitter, I'm talking about you, Alexis. I don't care. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure you don't care. Like, everybody has their own opinion. So I am interested in hearing Buzzy from what I've said, from what Alexis has said. What is your take on this situation? It's definitely one of those things I'm not surprised people are up in arms about. Um, that's the kind of thing that I think there's sort of a knee-jerk, similar to this kind of passion that comes out over the Super League. Mm-hmm. Um, people just so like, whoa, 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 change. Like that affects the culture, <laughs> that affects the, the yeah. how it's always been, that affects, you know, how fans feel connected to the, to the club and the mm-hmm. league and everything. Um, so it's kind of the same, the same emotions. Um, yeah. There's the two sides I think Alexis alluded to is that like this, for, for, for starters, our stadium is one of the smaller ones for a big club. So we're already, already trying to squeeze this money out to remain, um, you know, competitive as far as match day tickets uh, and everything goes. So I, I'm not surprised they need to kind of boost prices um at the same time also if i can bring an american perspective to it i do i do have to i both i have to laugh and i both like how how adamant fans are about the prices over there because it's cool and it's good that um in general ticket prices compared over here are very low for for uh um like a single match or or even season tickets um the prices are much lower than you would expect but when i hear uh people over there talk about it it's like, well, they're raising it to like, you know, 60 pounds. And that's like, <laughs> you, can go, yeah, you can go to a game for six, like 60 bucks. Like, that's great. Um, tickets over here are way more expensive in general. But I think it is cool that there's sort of a fan like consensus. And sometimes there's even fan controller, you know, groups that, that, that put a stop to um, raising ticket prices. Um, because, yeah, I mean, people can't afford it. So I, I get it. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's neat. There's sort of a grassroots kind of groundswell of resistance against uh, raising ticket prices because clubs yeah. and organizations will raise prices i mean as long as they can get away with it they'll keep doing it so i think i think in general philosophically it's good that there are these groups that kind of are resistant to allowing them to do that without you know any pushback um at the same time the fact that they're not going to take your ticket away uh at all it's not like oh you don't get this ticket if you can't afford you know these new prices um you can probably speak more to the the culture of the stands i've only watched uh one game at the bridge but um you know people don't want to have, if they've been there a long time, suddenly not sitting where they've always sat. And I, I'd yeah. probably be pretty annoyed about that too. This is what, Buzzy, this is why you're in the pod. You're, you're, you're much better than both me and Alexis. You're more t- articulate. I love the perspective. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Good, so, good. So for me, um, I don't like the fan being squeezed because look, 
uh, football is a working class sport and when it comes down to it the money involved now is incredible and if they're the, the club are looking to squeeze and squeeze the money out of working class people I, that's what i'm not comfortable about so what you said i completely agree with we ha- like fans should show a reaction because if they don't show this reaction this is how they start and they'll just keep on pushing so like you said they people are going to have bonds to their particular seat too so i get i get a reaction to it but at the same time like you kind of summed up and i'm just basically stealing all buddy's points because it was perfect but they are they are reallocating them like um alexis said as well they're not necessarily taking the seats away but you just have to be careful because it might start that way but that's like gentrification you know when you just all of a sudden you see a coffee shop you don't even know that's just the beginning you know what i'm saying so you do have to be wary Part of me, because I don't like the, the proper Chelsea fan, and I'm fine with saying it. I don't like them. My my partner, she was um, she she was talking about. I'm going to story time. Story time was song. She went um to like a work deal or whatever where she was leaving, and she was talking to some older guy um that supports Chelsea, and then she was like, "Oh, my boyfriend supports Chelsea and all that type of stuff." And then anyway, um, I was like, because he was older, I was like, "Oh, he's proper Chelsea." She says, "No, he's not. He's a really nice guy." I'm telling you. I bet you any money he ha- he hates Hudson Odoi, and she's like, oh shit, he does. He hates Hudson Odoi, and and then he likes him out, and that's the only thing with like the the, the kind of fan base at this point. I think it's really um, the Chelsea fan base is so international right now. Right, we're here with Buzzy from America. Obviously, I'm from London. Alexis, London as well. Different backgrounds, different heritage, and I do think like even they've announced like. That they've got people on the board now because the Chelsea fans did a great job when they did try to do the Super League or fighting back. So that's why they had advisors on the board. Or, but these advisors don't probably don't really have that much power. But but even with the people that they've invited on, I think they just speak to a singular Chelsea fan perspective. And so, yeah. and so basically, what I'm saying is that the, the Chelsea fan in the stadium is usually that one perspective anyway. So the fact that they might get a little bit diluted, I can't be mad at. But the only thing is, they're just going to be replaced by like richer corporate guys anyway. So, but you me, know what, Dan? Yeah, I th- I think you know a lot of people have an issue with the fact of what Chelsea are trying to do, and I'm looking at it from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's strictly supply and demand. Mm-hmm. The demand for Chelsea tickets is massive, right. and if someone's willing to pay Chelsea three grand a year for that season ticket, and Chelsea don't have to do any more work. Mm-hmm other than supply that chair the club would be stupid not to do it considering we're already lacking behind Spurs Arsenal Liverpool Man City and United for size of stadium and ability to generate revenue on a match day I I know it's not ethical but they're a corporate corporation yeah I think that's what people forget and I put a tweet out today that really irritated people when I said this is we don't have the racetrack or 10 pound tickets anymore. If you want to watch a 10 pound game, go to your local Sunday league game. <laughs> like, it's fact of the matter. Like you don't go to a Drake concert or you don't go to a Gucci shop and ask, oh no, you can't charge extortionate prices. Yeah. Chelsea's top class level football. Yeah. And the yeah. sad thing is it's expensive. I get, I get. And I, I, I can't necessarily disagree with you, but I'm always for the, the like, I'm not. I'm never going to represent the organization over the man. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't care who the man is. When it comes down to it, like you have to have these things in place. You can't just let corporations just say, oh, "Actually, money comes first. 
that's yeah that's how you get a, that's how you get a race to the bottom in which yeah. the corporation always wins like of course there's always a way they could make more money or they should do this to make as much money as possible but i think you have a responsibility and frankly the club is rich enough from other factors and the owner that yeah. squeezing the extra the extra 15 20 pounds out of the out of, out of the fans is not going to make or break the club's finances frankly yeah, yeah. Um, but, but i get it when it comes down to it the, the money like it, every like like alexis said Tottenham have a new stadium now. We, we have to look to compete, not just on the field, but off the field too. And so um, in terms of our seat, uh, gate receipts and stuff like that, that's an area that they're going to look to improve on. Obviously, they tried to move stadiums. That didn't pan out. And so now that's this is an area they've renovated that place where they can push to improve it. So anyway, let, let's get off of that. Um, we spent too long in it anyway. I want to get to the international roundup. Um, and I've got a few topics um, we can talk. We can talk on Reese James first because Reese James, obviously, like I don't even have to tell you guys. Right back situation at England is peak because obviously a few have fallen away, but a couple of years ago everyone was like, "Raw, there's Trippier, there's Aaron Bissaka." Obviously, Reese James, Livramento is coming through now. Then also Lamptey. Obviously, you've got Walker, the old head, and then you've got Trent, who's known as one of the best right backs, but not necessarily for right-back qualities. Reese James, I don't know if any of you watched the England game? I watched both games, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's cool. You know, I have to apologise. We are football nuts. That's why we're on this, you know what I'm saying? And and you're sad, but it's cool. Alexis, um, what did you think about Reese James' performance for England? Reese James, as an overall player, has really impressed me this year in his development. Yeah. Um, I always had the criticism of Reese not being able not being able to play wing back for the reason that I don't like how he wasn't assertive and aggressive in with his penetrative runs when he had the ball. Yeah. But he's really developed that into his game. So he, he's been coming in into the middle mm. from the wide. He's not hogging the touchline and he's using his abilities to beat a man off a dribble and using his body just to once he gets ahead in front of you, you can't get around it. Yeah. I, I think as a player, he's developed in going forward, but defensively, he's impressed me more. I think in his first few years, people used to, the one-two, he was always susceptible to the one-two. Yeah. But now he looks like a more complete defender and he's just, he's becoming the player that we all wanted him to be. And it showed when he played for England, how he was a reliable outlet, even at his young age. Yeah. I think it's incredible because as, as I said, the competition for a, right-backs is so crazy and Trent everybody calls world-class and yet it feels like the common consensus now that Reese James should be starting that's that's incredible and what you said about the development of Reese James when I look at Mount and Reese James they're both similar ages Hudson's a bit younger but they're both coming into that I remember when I was 22 that's when I really came into my manly body like and Reese James obviously was a beast he looked like a beast for a 19 year old but now he's looking like you know even in his mentality as well, he doesn't he doesn't really respect people, and I think when it comes to wing back, I still think Reese James in terms of using pace as a wing back like a Livermento would do. I don't think he's got that, but when he comes inside and he's always had this, when he does the underlap, which for whatever reason I don't know if it was set up like that for England, but it was perfect for Reese James to underlap, and it felt like he was the initiator of all of their most dangerous attacks. So, yeah, he, he was phenomenal. Buzzy, do you have anything to add on that? 
No, I think you, I think you covered it though. I've, I've always been kind of pushing back on that. I don't think Reese could make a good wing back um, yeah. argument. I've, I've kind of been a believer in that. I think, I think someone who can do it all is kind of the, like you get the people who get on, on, you know, I mean, Trent's a fullback, but you get on people who get on him for not being able to defend. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of tease my friends who are, you know, uh, one, one's a United supporter, one's a Liverpool supporter right. that, um, you know, Juan Basaka and, and Alexander Arnold were kind of, um, you know, vying for that spot. And I kind of, I kind of half joke that Reese is the best balance of the two of them. Yeah. And like, watch, watch out. Cause he's going to come take it. But like a year later, that's kind of what's happening. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, I think he's just, he's going from strength to strength. I agree that like the defensive side of his game, people were a little, a little worried about he's come on even better in that regard. Like he doesn't get called out from behind himself as often. If he does, he's recovering well. Um, and yeah, the attacking game, I mean, I think Alexis is right. It's not, it's not necessarily um, create like winger type play where he's dribbling at, at, at his man on, at wide or cutting inside, but he stretches the game well. Like he stays out wide. He knows when to cross. He knows when to cut it back. Um, and I think he's just making good decisions. There was a game or two where his crossing for us wasn't, wasn't great. And then he eventually got an assist. So like he dialed it in. He frustrated me for a while, but then he yeah. put a, little, a really good delivery in. And it's just all of his all of his talents are kind of coming together into it's a com- role. Yeah, it's coming, for him. it's coming together. Yeah. And and he's putting numbers up, but it's a weird one. Like for me, do you know that like, pe- people are so quick to um, praise people that are putting like productive numbers up. And numbers aren't people, important for the for his position. I don't think the numbers are the they're, important. They're not. But what I'm wondering, Alexis, is if he wasn't getting assists, if he wasn't getting the goals, would people be still saying he's playing amazing? Or is it just one of those things where people are saying that because he's scoring and he's getting assists? I, I agree with people with Chilwell too, because people keep saying, oh, the goals, oh, the goals. Well, the goals won't keep coming. I don't necessarily need the goals to keep coming. Like the goals are a byproduct of the position working yeah. as intended. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That that means the that means the the Wing backs are providing proper width. They're stretching the defense. They're giving space to the runners inside. Like those are, that's why they're there. If they happen, if the ball happens to fall for them for a shot and it works out, like great. But I'm not, I'm not expecting my wing back necessarily to score yeah. a ton of goals. Hey, this is such a nice conversation to have because I know you both actually watch the games in detail and don't just check the stat sheet. There's so <laughs> many people that you talk to and they literally will define a performance purely based on a goal and an assist even for a defender. Yeah, it's, it's, crazy. it's crazy. And so moving on to Jorginho, because I didn't watch the Italy game, but he missed the penalty. And it's like, I go to Twitter and Chelsea fans are mad happy about Jorginho missing the penalty for Italy. They're, I think there's so much bad blood around Jorginho, not just the Chelsea fans now, but because obviously he was a contender for Ballon d'Or and I don't think the general football public liked that. Uh, people want to see him fail, which is which is bad. But I think coming back to Chelsea and dialing it back in, um, he has missed the, the last three, I think, for Italy. Um, he's obviously the penalty taker for Chelsea and he scored some penalties for Chelsea recently too. Um, are you worried about this in terms of him being our penalty taker? Should uh, Lukaku be our penalty taker? We'll start with you, Alexis. Um, I'm not worried. I still trust him when he steps up. I feel like he's got enough credit in the bank for me where I don't care about his Italy misses. I, I predominantly care about his, his Chelsea penalties. I know a penalty is a penalty, but mm-hmm. he hasn't hurt me because I don't care about Italy. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Chelsea, he's got enough credit in the bank. I trust him, especially when he does the chip. You, you know, the, the little hop and then he just yeah. flicks it in. 
I feel like he's a ben- better penalty taker when it's natural and he doesn't overthink it. Yeah. But when when he tries to adjust his like um, his system and his form, that's when I feel like he starts to overthink it and it's not natural anymore. Yeah. So for me, he stays. Uh, Buzzy, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think he's been varying it up. We've seen because the the hop and skip penalty was was going in every time for a while, and then it, it's been saved a few times. And in the last probably six months or or three months, maybe he's taken more just normal penalties, like he's just put his foot through it. Yeah. Um, and some of those have gone in. And so I think I think not doing the hop skip every time um, gives a little more unpredictability. But if he's gonna if he's gonna start hitting him over the bar, then yeah. um, I'm not gonna love that so much. I, I don't. I, I don't. I know people want our attackers to like pad their stats with the penalty. That's not really why I necessarily want it. But I, mm-hmm. I do kind of think having someone who's just gonna like Lukaku is just gonna like hit it and score it. Um, yeah. I, I would be fine with that too. I don't. I don't really care. As as Alexis said, his record is good enough for Chelsea right now that I'm not like campaigning for him to get out. But I'm I'm getting a little concerned that the uh, the jig is up with the hop skip, mm. and now he's kind of psyching himself out about like what he's gonna do when he gets up there. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's one to watch. Uh, Pulisic scored against Mexico, was it? Yeah. Yep. It was against Mexico, and it was a, one of those Pulisic specials where his desire um, got him to the six-yard box, and obviously late charged the box, and I see the reaction from it was that we don't have many Chelsea players that do it. Now, I've seen a couple of Chelsea players do it, but it does seem to be a Pulisic thing, and uh, we, we create a lot of chances, but um, do we have people that are always going to be there to convert as well? So, so um, Buzzy, what do you think about that kind of whole Pulisic has to play because he's the only one that kind of scores those goals in the six-yard box? Um, I think I don't think he's the only one in the squad. I do think like if we're going to pair him with a creative passer like like uh, Callum or Ziyech, that like one one of the other players who isn't Lukaku, I'm assuming Lukaku will always start. Yeah. needs to do that. I do think Havertz also provides the runs and attacks the ball. So mm-hmm. one of those two, um, but Pulisic drink, brings something different where he, he, you know, takes his man on on the dribble. So I think it's a, I think it's a great option to have. Some mm-hmm. games will start. I think some games will be on the bench and come in and attack the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to forget, you know, still how young he is despite all the ups and downs and the injuries. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, useful, useful player to have. Um, yeah. The USA, the, the sub- substituting on and scoring within like four minutes is, I mean, that's pretty much, vintage him at least for the national team um he he has that special sauce for the national team that's like pure sort of aura and desire and he he came on and he hasn't played in weeks because he's been hurt and he scored against the rival like immediately he kind of just has that um i would like to see it for chelsea more um a lot of reasons we can get into why that hasn't happened but um yeah i mean i think he's a valuable player to have i think more likely than anything uh he's going to end up if there's any discussion about him leaving, it'll be the dissatisfaction with his playtime from him yeah. coming from himself. Yeah. Um, I, I think he, he, because he sort of has that I'm the guy personality, he will want to be starting somewhere. So yeah, I will not be shocked in, in a couple of years time if he's actually not here anymore, unless he becomes uh, one of the consistent starters. Okay. Alexis, what's your take on it in terms of uh, those runs that he does um, and to, to get into the box and score those type of things? And is it something that we need in our starting level? I think Pulisic is the most, uh, you know, so uh, the player that plays up top, assuming is Lukaku, mm-hmm. out of the two in the twin tens, I think Pulisic will get the easiest amount of goals, purely based on the fact that he always makes those last ditch runs. Mm-hmm. He's there, he arrives on the right time. Mm-hmm. 
Whether his finishing will be up to par, whether he'll always get on the end of it is another conversation. But he has that determination to go and sniff those goals out. For example, if he paid, played for a Pep team, I think he'll get 10, 10 league goals like that, like the way Raheem Sterling did, where you know the ones where they're sweaties or back stick and he, he heads it in or taps it in. So it's a, one of his stronger attributes. But regarding his creativity, I feel like he doesn't have enough of the creative gene. He's got the ability to take a man on and beat him, mm-hmm. then open up space, which in his head is shoot. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like he's got the Ziyech or the Hudson-Odoi pass-first mentality. And if we're going to play Havertz, Lukaku and Pulisic, we're going to be in big problems because we won't have the creativity. So it's either him or Havertz plus a creative type, in my opinion. Okay. All right, so Habit scored on the weekend, and he scored one of those, those um, six-yard box um, goals as well. Um, he seems to be in goal-scoring form, but a lot of people were just talking about the fact that since he's come, he's only scored six Premier League goals. Obviously, Lukaku is warming up. He's coming back. How would you say you think Havertz has done as, like, the false nine in Lukaku's absence? Again, we'll start with you, Alexis, and then bounce it back to Buzzy. I think he's done well. I think what we said earlier about Reese James and the goals and assists, um, people don't watch the performances. They just look at the stat sheet. And it was very telling when we won 7-0, people tried to focus on the negative from yeah. the day where Havertz didn't score and he didn't assist. When in reality, I think his movement and his ability to drop deep and leave the defenders in in a strands where they have to decide whether am I going to be in no man's land and leave space and behind me, or am I going to just have to let him go and pass him to the midfielder? Yeah. And I always say he brings us a new dimension and I prefer him at false nine. And I believe signing Lukaku was the wrong thing to do at that moment in time, purely because if you invested so much money in Kai Havertz and you saw that false nine was his best position, surely you would have built around him. But now we're taking him out of the one position where he's actually, I wouldn't say flourished, but performed well. Yeah. And you're putting him, in, him into a situation where now he has to relearn a position mm-hmm. where it's not most natural to him. And you don't do that to a 73 million pound player, not 100 million like everyone else on Touchline once a time. <laughs> yeah. It pisses me off every time. It, 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 it gets to you. That's the reason why they keep on doing it. They just lie. <laughs> 100 million all in every time uh but no otherwise i think for me that's the way i would go even when lukaku's back yeah but i doubt that two shows gonna do that they spent way too much money on lukaku he's yeah. got way too much that signing is now intrinsically signed to him if yeah. lukaku fails that will be a knock against tuchel all the time yeah all right so buzzy what's your take on it so like i remember in the group chat after the norwich game i think we had you didn't watch it the Norwich game live, but you watched it back. And I think yeah. a lot of people was happy, but then they were sad, like um, Alexis said, that Havertz didn't score. And then you was actually, actually, you played fine. Um, so, yeah, what's your whole take on Havertz um, as the false nine since Lukaku's been away? Yeah, I watched nearly every game live. I think that one was on at 7 a.m. Here was just a bridge too far on a Saturday morning. Just wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't yeah. there that day. Uh, I'd watched it back, though. Um, did not expect that. Uh, to come um yeah i think i i think i agree with mostly what he said that uh, people people get on on his goal return total and i don't think he 
Well, two things. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's only a player that you need to be looking at goals and assists um, because especially in this sort of false nine role, if you think he really did nothing in a game where we scored seven goals, um, I don't think you were like watching or, or have like a great understanding of, of the game. If you're, if you're assuming he didn't contribute because he didn't get on the, on the stat sheet. Um, at the same time, I do think it's fair to expect him. Like we signed him with the expectation he would score goals. Like he scored, he scored a lot of, of Bundesliga goals from a young age and his goal totals were definitely something that were hyped up and used to justify the signing and a reason to go out and get this player. So we should expect him to score. I don't think it's, I don't think it's totally fair to, to say, Oh, everything he brings is intangible and uh, we, we shouldn't expect production. So I hear, I hear the critics um, on that front. And there's a lot of a weird, almost increasing number of Havertz critics among our fans. I I do think though, at the same time, those intangibles do exist. He's really smart with his movement. He drops deep, like Alexis said, uh, regularly to get the ball and come into space and give an option and play a quick one too. And then his his sort of gliding acceleration is yeah. is so deceptive. Like he he turns and passes the ball or turns and runs with the ball, and all of a sudden he's like 25 yards upfield, like yeah. before you know it. He kind of glides and then he's back around the box for the you know for the play to develop or to offer an option yes. or to play a one two. And I think those are really good attributes to have. I, I have no problem with saying like score score a few games in a row or score two to a game or you know um people have a problem with like oh he seems very quiet and then he pops up with a goal like i don't mind that either if he's if he's looking for runs and trying to contribute and his main contribution is eventually getting on the end of a goal um good i mean that's that's fine um so i think i I think i don't mind that we went out and got a proper out and out striker Mm -hmm. um because i think we one way or another will have two sort of positions for him to play whether it's pure striker or this sort of hybrid yeah. um, he can he can kind of still play his his almost false nine role but it's almost to his advantage that Lukaku is actually there to be the sort of main attraction uh pull people away or so he can play off of him I think that one two is great and I think I said I think I said early in the season before it even started that um Lukaku with Havertz dropped slightly next to him and then Hudson and Doe behind is like my ideal front three and we're kind of seeing it we're getting there um, and I think it's, I think it's been pretty, pretty, it's shown what it can do. Um, and I think, I think Havertz adds a little bit of fluidity to our, to our attack. It'll be super so, interesting, obviously, because Lukaku's back, Werner's back. So yeah, yeah. Hudson-Odoi and Havertz, they had to kind of like fill in. And it'll be mm-hmm. super interesting now if, um, that means something or, do you know what I'm saying? They just get discarded. But, um, let's move on to transfers. And so we've been linked with a, um, a few people over international break. And so I'm just going to ask, would you do it? To them? So, so the first one, um, Eden Hazard on loan specifically in January. Now, it looks like um, Perez is going big. Mbappe, Haaland and Vinicius is his uh, dream trio. Obviously, Eden's on big wages. He just doesn't seem to have fit there. It looks like they're telling him he can go in January. Um, and Chelsea have, it's like with Cristiano Ronaldo. It's not like we need an extra attack. We've got so many. Um, but Eden obviously has that link with Chelsea. And um, especially on loan, it means that we can evaluate whether you know like he can be his old Eden self at the Garden of Eden. So my question first to you, Alexis, is would you do it, Eden, back on loan? Bring him home. I said yeah. it last time. I'm saying it again. Um, look, what is the difference between Hakim Ziyech and Buzzy? I'm sorry, but... And Pulisic. Pulisic's <laughs> never fit anyway. So 
I might as well bring a player that I know was world-class and we could potentially fix his regimen and put him back on the regimen that he was on and we could get our Eden Hazard back. I think he's, he's, he's exactly what we need in this team. And when I have seen him in recent times, the game time that he has played, he has been fantastic. Like, for example, that, that first game against France, uh, the one they lost, but when he played in the first half, he was the best player on the pitch. He was the one creating the most chances. France were petrified and didn't know how to deal with him. It's just his fitness was the issue. And then he came off injured again. But like I said, Ziyech is offering nothing. Pulisic is injured half the time anyway. So why not take a loan? And if it doesn't work, then send right. him back. Okay, so so if we do loan him, I don't think we can keep all of our attackers. Um, Ziyech looks like he's leaving anyway. Um, would you just get rid of Ziyech or would you think? Because look, Hudson Doyle's waited a long time. He's played right wing back forever. And finally, he starts getting left wing, and then all of a sudden, Eden's back, and Eden plays left wing. So, so would you um, get rid of just Ziyech, or would you get rid of more? For me, my front three would be Havertz, False Nine, Hudson Odoi, and Hazard. Okay, but I feel like that would work. That's your one, but kind of bringing in a bit more realism into the fact that Lukaku's here and he's going to play. Um, and we've got so many attackers. And I don't want to know about your, your ideal front freeze, but just looking at the squad numbers in attack, um, don't you think there's a potential? Because I always say, do you know like when you're boiling water maybe for pasta or rice and it gets to a boil, then you add water in and all of a sudden it just stops boiling and then it works its way up. Whenever you kind yeah. of bring in a new player, it's almost like a reset and everybody has to find their position, just like with Lukaku coming in and it disrupted Kai. And it's like, do we need that disruption in January with a player that we've got an emotional relationship to? So it might be a force. So yeah, so wait, um, Alexis, you've kind of said you're a bit fuzzy. What would you do? Would you bring him back on loan? I'm, I'm very hesitant. I lean, I lean probably slightly towards if it was a loan, I would, I would do it because I don't see why not. But I'm not that, I wouldn't be upset if it didn't happen. I'm not that convinced on it. I could just as easily ask me in, in an hour. I might say, I might say no. Um, I think exactly what you said, blocking Hudson Adoy for a player who. I, I, it's hard because when, like over this international break, he played well again. I think he had the most like take-ons on the pitch. Like he was, he was doing his Eden things um, in in Belgium's last game. Um, but blocking Callum's final, he finally broke through, and now it's like, oh, take a back seat again. Um, that said, if you. I don't think we will probably mid-season, to be honest. But if we do get rid of Ziyech, like, then kind of problem solved. Those those minutes are freed up. Hazard's on loan, so you're not necessarily obligated to play him, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he might get injured anyway. Pulisic is indeed injured half the time, if not more. Um, so you can see, like, having that player to, to put in or start in a game when he's fit, Yeah, it's hard to have that much of a downside to it. Um, I definitely would be more cautious if it was going to be a rebuy. Um, worried about those those wages and then again he has that star power where he's going to need to start um so i kind of think you know it's it's maybe just worth looking towards the future on and not 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 turning backwards um, we, we, we look, do look miss, to this new star give give callum the keys you know um we we do miss i remember when eden and callum was playing and i know neither is a goal scorer and i like at least one of my wide men to be like prolific goal scorers i think eden again Eden coming back, he's not going to take the penalty. So if, if he does come back, he's not going to score as many goals as he did before. But um, oh, he definitely takes pens. 
Oh, he definitely. Okay. Listen, right, Jorginho okay. better step aside. Okay. All right. Okay. We never know. You, this is what I'm saying. These are things that could upset the apple cart. But I think Eden, we're missing um, one-on-one dribblers. We're missing that. We're missing that kind of brute force. And so that, I'll, I'll, you know, I'd bring him back. I'd bring him back, even with the Hudson Doy thing. I'd just look to kind of get rid of more players. And when I say get rid of more players, like I know some people like, and Barkley might leave, but some people are like, yeah, just, just shift Barkley. But Barkley's like, he's like one of the lowest players anyway. I'm talking about players that are going to expect to play. Like, how do you bring back Eden Hazard and keep Pulisic happy? Buzzy just said, look, we know his character. He's unhappy when he's not starting every single game anyway. He doesn't like just being rotated a little bit. So, so yes, yeah, interesting anyway. But I think the consensus is that we bring Eden back. So the next, would you do it? And we're going to go straight to Alexis on this one because I think that you've been campaigning on the timeline. Frankie the Young is for sale, apparently. Now, I'm going to bring up Saul, Saul niggas, because um, he, um, stories came out that Tuchel didn't even want him, which I don't know if I believe. Apparently, people, now people are trying to blame him on the board and Tuchel really didn't want him. But um, when, when we did sign him on loan, Tuchel was talking about why he, he wanted Saul. And it's like, he said, in that midfield position, we've got Jorginho, but we need kind of cerebral thinkers. And so we wanted another cerebral thinker. Um, and he was, I think someone asked, why don't you play Chalabar DM? And he was like, yeah, the different styles. I, I really wanted that cerebral guy. So obviously, Atletico Madrid wanted to get rid of Saul. Um, obviously, Real Madrid want to get rid of Hazard too. But it's like Barcelona want to get rid of Frankie de Jong. So whenever clubs want to actively get rid of players, alarms should be ringing off. Now, Saul, we kind of said, okay, on loan, let's see it. Let's see why they want to get rid of him. And we've kind of seen that actually he's not all cracked up. Obviously, the last game he played, I think he played better, but he wasn't cracked up to be, um, and maybe I'm being harsh because he only played a few games. But yeah, a player like Loftus-Cheek is like, I would want Loftus-Cheek to play over Saul. Um, so the reason why I'm kind of starting with this opening dialogue is because Frankie de Jong, Barcelona, he hasn't had a good time there. He hasn't got, like, he's flattered to the seed. Um, he came in as one of the most rated young players. I remember PSG was linked with him. Tuchel was devastated that he missed out on both him and the lit. But Alexis, you seem very keen on him. Like, I spoke to one of my Barca friends and he was saying defensively he offers nothing. Um, he's really good at dribbling forward, but he's a hard fit. At first, they thought they was going to replace Busquets, but there's, there's no chance that he could do that because Busquets is a level above in that DM position. And um, then he starts, they try to play him as a attacker, but they don't think he's good enough as an attacker. Um, but you're so you're really they try him at the center of a back three, yeah. So he's played some games when they had defensive issues, he played some games, but that wasn't like um, because he was good there, they just had defensive issues. And this was what I heard from my friend anyway. But so, but you're keen to bring him in now. Are you worried that you've just got like a diminished view, like you know what I'm saying? The grass is being attacked, you, um, but yeah, talk to me about Frankie Dion or why you think we should we should buy it so. The sample size that I've seen of it, I'm not going to pretend, is nowhere near so big where I can definitively put my neck out in line and say, oh, we need to get him is the answer to all of our prayers. Mm-hmm. But from what I have seen of him, I think he's a very complete player. He's neat on the ball. He's got a decent frame. He he can play numerous positions. And I, like I said something, and I think it was you that was on the account, but... I believe in getting someone out a year early than keeping them a year too late. It was me on the phone. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Let's have this out. Yeah, because for me, it's like, I'd rather get 
like next season, if someone bids 40, 50 million pounds for Jorginho, mm-hmm. I'd rather get Jorginho out than keep him for another year and then potentially age creeps in or the team just becomes stale because being stale is never a good thing. It's So why not revamp the team? And De Jong's had potential and Tuchel wanted him. We already know that based on like articles that are in. So surely bring him in, have the leadership around him in Kovacic, Kante. He doesn't even have to be a starter from the outset. But the wages are the crazy part. So ignoring that. But I think it's always good to have two veterans, two younger players. Well, well, but we've got got two veterans and we've got two younger players. So we've got the veterans in Kante and Jorginho and in the younger players, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Or like the mid Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic, right? Yeah, but then that's why I'm saying one or not Kante. I'm keeping Kante. If the right price comes in for Jorginho... Okay. Kovacic takes his role. All right, let me let me rebuttal because number one, you talked about the stale thing. I, I don't get the stale thing. Like, so for me, I remember Spurs obviously with Levy, they they hadn't spent money. And I remember at the beginning of the season, they hadn't spent anything, and everyone was saying, doom and gloom, they got they, got, they, they made it to the Champions League final that year when they didn't spend anything. Same as Liverpool, oh, they haven't spent anything, etc. They need to refresh. They won the league. And I, for me, I I said this to you on Twitter. I think sometimes you can kind of um, engineer your way out of like potential success with trying to do things too early, trying to predict when players are, oh, we need to refresh this person. This person's hit in 30. Uh, I mentioned in our dialogue the fact that PSG got rid of Thiago Silva. Why? Did it, was, he, was he looking worse? No, they just decided that, oh, we need a replacement because he's a certain age. He's been obviously amazing for us. There's been other examples. Obviously, we um, got McAlealy from Real Madrid, and he was incredible for us. And there was no really real reasons for them to kind of him to sell him. Um, he came at 30. Zola came at 30. And it's I, I feel like Perlo going from I was a big AC Milan fan. I watched most of their games, and Perlo was at the heart of everything. And then for whatever reason, they just decided, oh, he's coming to a certain age. Let's try to pr- bring in a younger player, etc. He went to Juventus, and in Juventus, I think I, I, experience is so important. And forget about just on the pitch, like Jorginho. Like I remember when seeing videos of Werner missing, and then Jorginho being that person, keep your head up. And like what I said before about the the, the boiling pot and um, changing things, I just feel like when you've got a win inside, why risk? Like it doesn't make sense. Like Jorginho might be an integral part to that. Um, Jorginho for Italy, obviously Mancini brought him in. Before that, uh, they were shit. And then they became a possession side that wanted to help possession. Now, obviously, both Italy and Chelsea have had phenomenal defensive records. And it's not just necessarily the fact that we play three at the back and five at the back, but we hold possession so much. And so because we hold possession so much, we we monopolise the ball. That's one of the reasons why um, teams don't have other chances. So all I'm saying is, like, it's so easy. Like, I don't want to be that person that we sell Jorginho because, or oh, we want to, you know, proactively replace. And then the next minute, you know, it's like, oh, actually, we needed him. Like, I just don't understand why you would upset the, the apple cart. That's just my take on it. Um, I've said my bit. Alexis has said his bit. Buzzy, you can be the final word in it. What do you think about both our perspectives? 
De Jong, I would, I, Alexis actually said a lot of what I think about him. I think that Barcelona team has had more issues than can be applied to just him. Um, on an individual basis, he is really, really good in some areas. Yeah. Um, I've looked, I've looked at his advanced stats a couple of times, played Dan's favorite game, red light, green light. He stands out on the <laughs> ball. Um, he stands out on the ball, like keeping possession and also progressive yeah. passing, um, passes into the final third, uh, shot, like shot creations from open play. And that's in a team that's, that's bad, frankly. Um, and I think his attributes and he's only 24 and he was rated so, so highly for a reason. Like this kid was, this kid was supposed to be one of the next studs and, um, there's a classy player in there. I would, I would, I would jump. I do think, though, as you discussed, um, there needs to be some room made made in the midfield, um, yeah. whether that is through through Jorginho or some of the other sort of depth or fringe signings. And obviously, you have to think about what happens to Gilmore. And I'm someone who backs Gilmore, but if you ask me in a vacuum, Gilmore or Frankie De Jong, I'm probably going to take De Jong. It's it's, um, it's it's so funny though because we'll get onto it. And by the way, just for context, red light, green light, that mutt buzzy kind of. <laughs> It made me laugh. Um, I call it, you know, F-breath, where people don't watch football. Like, well, okay, people do watch football, but at the same time, they're so quick to rely on these F-breath, red light, green light graphs. And obviously, it's um, a joke linked to that that show on Netflix. But, um, yeah, like, I remember Mount... um, What's that guy called again? Awa? Awa? Awa. Awa, yeah. Awa. That was a big thing, Mount Awa. And, like, at the time, I was like, Number one, uh, maybe they were watching, but I was just questioning, do you watch these guys regularly? And I, I know it's like, um, I just, I was thinking, yeah, these people are saying sell them out, get our, and, and it's like, we've got players here, like Gilmore, Conor Gallagher, um, Frankie de Jong, it's not like Frankie de Jong is, is like, it's not like he's performing well, he's on massive wages, he's going to cost a lot of money, and you're buying someone that actually... He's gonna have to. He's still gonna have to have massive wages. And like, if look, if we was to buy him and he flopped, that would be the worst business. Because if you buy someone that's performing someone else or somewhere else, and they flop, okay. But if you're buying someone that's been a huge signing, that's underperformed, and then you take that on at big money and big wages, that's like the worst business. No. Yeah, there's there's a strong asterisk. That's why I said in a vacuum. There's a strong asterisk on what that price would be and if his wages would be able to come down at all. Because there's a certain point where I'd be like, okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but just on, on his talent level, I think he's I think he's an asset. I mean, I mean, I mean a... I'm not writing him off, and Alexis, I'll come back to you. I'm not writing him off, but it's just like in the area of the field where actually we're not struggling. Why spend resources there? Why why upset the apple cart there? It doesn't make any sense. Like that, this is what for me we've done so many times. It's like I remember under sorry, I, I was looking at it thinking actually defense were, were quite good, midfield were, were amazing. We just need to fix their attack. But then what happened? Lampard came in and he just done talk scissors to everything, and we, we had to reset. And now I'm looking at our team. It's like defensively, four goals. We've just conceded four goals. Midfield, everybody knows that we are spoiled in midfield. So I don't want to take. Yeah. A, I don't want to mash up any of that. I'm. I'm I, I will also say the advanced stats do say that De Jong does absolutely nothing in defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're very, they're very poor. Listen, Barcelona, listen, even like the Dutch legends, and to be fair, he does play for EM for Holland, and from what I'm told, he plays well there. But even though, like, I think it was Hullet and another guy, and it was talking about him against Cadiz or Cadiz or how you say it, that Spanish team, and it was like he has to do more in terms of at least when he's playing deeper, like the long balls over. But there was even questioning saying like he's not doing enough, and th- these are guys that are Dutch legends that obviously care about him, so. 
again, I can't, I'm not watching, so this is just secondhand knowledge. So I don't yeah. like I don't like having definitive opinions. I just think in general, I think Chelsea are doing so well in these departments that I really wouldn't I wouldn't want to see us rip it up and take that chance, just like we did when we sold Matic and brought in Bakayoko and then it, it messed up everything. I was like, I, I, the way I see it now, midfield, we're cool. Defense, we're cool. Let's actually reshape the attack and get it. Yeah, it'll have to be a situation where this Jorginho new contract doesn't arrive, whether he wants to leave or he's asking for too much money and they can't mm. agree it. Then you start saying, okay, well, now our hand is forced and we need to look at yeah. options. I'd say even then, I don't know if De Jong's the one just because. Oh, he's, yeah, he's not a defensive replacement. That is for sure. Exactly. But, you know who I would yeah. go for? Who? Renato Sanchez. I like but, him. But then Renato's not. I think no, what, he's a double six. I want a player for the double six. Yes, but 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 okay, cool. We we, we can agree to disagree. But all I'm saying is, if <laughs> if we've got a winning formula and what we're and Jorginho has contributed to that, this is a hypothesis. Maybe we're fine without him, and we don't need that kind of possession game. But if really and truly that's pivotal, then surely what we should be trying to do is make sure that we still have that element. That's all I'd say. But. Moving on, because I think we spent quite a long time with it. And this is just the would you do it. So the Frankie Dion, would you do it? Um, you're saying yes, Buzzy. Um, I, I don't actually think we'd get him for, for wages okay. and a transfer fee that I think I would, I would actually say okay. yes to. Okay. If, if right. we managed to, I would do it, but I don't think that would actually happen. So the next one, Wesley Fofana would be linked with him. Now, obviously, Rudiger, contract might not be um, signed. Thiago Silva, quite old. Um, we don't, he's probably retiring, but we don't know that for sure. So that's definitely two. Um, and then there might be more as well. There might be more kind of shuffling. Melang is only here because we couldn't shift him out. Um, would you do it, Wesley Fana, Alexis? He's got a year left on his deal. So I think the price could be nicer than if he had a couple, like a few years left. I think the talent's there. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, I don't know about anything about the kid from Huddersfield. So either one of you could shed light. He, he back, and- oh, well, we got a patron piece. Um, with a Huddersfield fan that gives us a deep in-depth. So that's a nice segue for you to guys to sign up to Patreon. Listen to that piece. I listen to it as well because I don't watch Huddersfield like that. And I don't I don't like pretending, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I said it many times. I said it, I've seen a couple YouTube yeah. clips and a couple of Twitter clips. I can't and, Yeah, and I can't judge by that. So everyone's saying he's good enough. Mm. I've seen Fafana enough times in the Premier League. Amazing. And he's a great footballer. Like, he's comfortable on the ball. He's good on the recovery. He does need a leader next to him, but that's due to age. And I think he can develop that with time. And hopefully we can re-sign Thiago Silva for one more year. Mm-hmm. And get, Because I just think, even if Thiago Silva's not playing, it's just the standards and training. It's yeah. He's Thiago Silva. He's, he wants to be a coach. So, like, hopefully he transitions to be a coach. Yeah. So, at the right price... Why not? Because I think the Rudiger, I think Rudiger's gone. I really do. I think his demands are high. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame Chelsea for not paying it. But at the same time, I don't blame Rudiger for asking for it. Mm-hmm. So it's just a healthy median. Both parties will break up on neutral terms. Mm-hmm. And I'm not convinced Aspie's back next year. Mm. That that's that's the thing because I think they'll they'll sort it out with Christensen, but I don't I'm not convinced Aspie will be back because I think Aspie still wants to play. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll go back to Spain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Buzzy, would you? So you're doing it, Alexis. You're taking. Uh, yeah, I, I like the player. Um, okay, cool. I, I want to shout out to myself because I said it. In... <laughs> <laughs> shout outs to me. <laughs> shout outs to me. Um, 
I said it before before he went to Leicester. Like I always, I was, I always do deep dives because um, I, 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 part of me is just a natural scout. And um, so at the time he was at Saint Etienne, and um, statistically he sh- he sh- like across Europe the numbers just kind of pulled up. So I was like, okay, who's this guy? I was quite young too. That's when I started watching him, and he was amazing. So I, I literally said that I've got an account. Um, in a few years, everyone's going to say this guy's amazing. Like he's going to say he's amazing. And I wish that I could tell you about the because I want to say some stuff, but it's from the Patreon, and obviously the Patreon people pay. But um, the Huddersfield fan had really interesting things to say about Levi um, Cowell. So if you are subscribed, definitely listen to it because I can't say it here. Um, but yeah, for Fafana... And, and if you're not subscribed, subscribe and listen to it. Exactly. So Fafana, are you doing it, Fuzzy? Uh, probably yes. I mean, the injury is unfortunate. I don't think that should be something that ultimately scares you off. I think that's yeah. kind of a one-off, really bad bad break. Um, I think it's either him or Kunde, right? That that was kind of the club identified that they needed yeah. uh, another young son of, like stud center back signing. Um, we didn't pull the trigger on that, or we couldn't agree a fee. Whichever whichever was the case, um, mm-hmm. we still kind of have that hole, and especially if Rudiger is going to leave or or Christensen. I uh, agree with Alexis that Rudiger is probably the more likely of the two to uh, not stick around. Um, then we have kind of an opening, even with Chaloba coming in and performing and proving himself. Yeah. I think. I think uh, there's, because we have one injury or, or one, you know, and then all of a sudden it's a little bit like, oh, who's playing center back? Yeah. Um, with three of them, you just need a lot of good bodies. And yeah. um, I think his talent is there. I think either you decide between him and Conde, you you mm. could argue that he played as a like wing back, right back, but he's not that great as it. And I think maybe Reese has proven that's his sort of spot um, yeah. that we maybe don't need a player who can play both of them. Um, I would maybe go for Fafana over Konde. I know people were worried about his height. Um, that's another that's another comment plus in his favor. But I think I think bottom line, the club is clearly looking at that position. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the talent level and age we should be looking at. Fafana's right side, isn't he? He's yeah, the right, right side. side. Yeah, he's right, right side. side. He's played right side of a back three for Leicester too. By the way, um, Chalabar Trev, he was on loan at Huddersfield too. Patreon again, it was interesting to hear uh, the Huddersfield fan compare uh, Cowell with uh, Chalabar. So it's a breeding ground for for our best center backs. It seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did you give us a definitive answer, Buzzy? Would you do? It? I, I said, I uh, yeah. I just wanted to point out the the Kunde thing because that didn't come okay. up. Yes, I would. I would go for uh, him. Maybe okay. maybe I just sit out of a Kunde. I also say I would be shocked if Esquilquet is not here next year. Okay. I think he. I think he'll absolutely be here. All right. So we're, when we talk about center backs, we're also looking for the lit. Now it seems like obviously the lit. Um, Tuchel doesn't necessarily just buy off of what you do in the field. I think he's really a passion merchant. I feel like the lit is definitely, yeah, I feel like the lit is definitely like, I've seen him, you know, ordering people about and speaking. And I know that Tuchel really desperately wanted him at PSG. We've been linked with the lit um, ever since he's come back as well. Um, so I'm not sure if, like, sometimes these stories are just smoke and mirrors, but I feel like Tuchel really does want the lit. And obviously Thiago Silva has been that kind of central figure there. Um, so maybe that I think the talks are that, that he wants the lit to replace Thiago Silva. What, what do you think about these um, links? Because we've just talked about needing um, another centre back, maybe, and so like again, he's kind of not necessarily done well at, at um, Juventus after that. That whole Ajax team, that whole Ajax team, those, those young stars. Yeah. Yeah. If someone at Ajax does voodoo on these players after they leave, because <laughs> I, I, I am convinced there is no way. They all turn shit as soon as they leave. Oh, and no. it's not like it was just it was just league performances. They were they were showing people up in the Champions League. Yeah. And all that, so. 
Onana started doing dope allegedly. Yeah. Promes, <laughs> Promes is in trouble today. Like, I read Quincy Promes in trouble. ZS yeah. doesn't look good. Obviously, FDJ and and um, I'm not sure about the lit. I'm not sure if he's doing well or not. But T- Tate's at Fulham. Yeah. Altman. <laughs> All crazy. of them are. It's crazy. Like, but are you taking the lit? Are you taking the light? I'm, I'm going to, I'll quickly piggyback off the fact that I said it's Kunde or Fafana. Oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and an ad or or delict i i'm not really letting myself believe those rumors because i think i think he is a classy center back i've I, that's always been like a dream signing like i was like we're not ever gonna get him um that's one i'll, I'll go to bat for uh if, if i'm okay. wrong and he turns out crap either at juventus or if he comes to us and he's bad that's mm-hmm. i'll just take that l but okay. that's a player i'd love to have yes okay um and then you alexis um, I don't think we can get him. He's a Mino client, Raiola client. So I feel like the wages will be too high, too many payments to agents. And I don't know, something about him at Juventus, it, you would think he would go there, learn and be more imposing and insightful. But every time I have seen him, and now that I've invested into a platform where I can watch their games, says, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've not been so gobsmacking impressed, but at the same time, it could be the growing pains because, you know, centre-backs come through at like 25, 26, where they're a yeah. complete self. So I can't definitively give you an answer right now. Um, okay. So at this moment, no. I'm, if, I, if I'm pushed, I'll say no. No problem. All right, so Musiala, who obviously left Chelsea and is known as now one of the best young talents in the world, um, he's complaining about not getting enough minutes at uh, Bayern Munich. Um, so look, he seems to want to stay there. Um, but looking at the fact that we have to call when you watch the documentary, when you get the time to watch it, the, the three people they put on the front cover was Tuchel, Rudiger, and Kai, the Germans, right? Um, so Musiala's obviously English German. Um, we've also been linked with Verts, and we've been linked with Adeyemi. I'm not sure if you guys have seen any of those three players, but um, any of those three players, are you desperate to have them at Chelsea? Obviously, Musiala's got the Chelsea link. Verts, I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans talk about him. And Edeyemi is being chased by every single big club. Um, so I thought I'll just, it's just like a little kind of bonus question. Um, so we'll start with you, Fuzzy, and then we'll go to Lucas. Um, Musiala, okay, I'm going to temper pretty much any, pretty much all positions we talked about. Yeah. Uh, you have to kind of put the, the asterisk on it. It's like, so yes, but somebody has to leave or no, yeah. because we have XYZ player. Yeah. I think almost any, any incoming player at this point requires a bit of a shuffle in, yeah. in yeah. the defense midfield or attack. I think that's just, our, our squad's pretty big. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we, if, if Ziyech or Timo or Pulisic go, I think there's a room for a creative player. Musiala um, has, it's not one where we feel too embarrassed because we did try to keep him. You know what I mean? That's not like, yeah. that's not like one where it's like we let him go because we didn't rate him or anything. Like we, mm-hmm. we knew how good he was. We wanted to keep him. So I think he's proven that he's proven that at Bayern. He's frustrated with his playtime. Yeah. Maybe he comes back. Um, I, I would, I would be excited to have him. I think yeah. right now I'm looking every time he plays ball and I'm like, yep, that's yeah. not surprising. You know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I would be, I'd be pretty so, happy to have him. So back. out of three, Musiala is the one that you'd, you'd want back. I think so. Verts is very, I don't know if they have like a factory going on over there. He's very similar to Havertz. Yeah, isn't he? Baby um, Havertz. That's what I was yeah. he's not. He's, he's really not though. He's, and they, they bought him. So he didn't really come through at Bayer Leverkusen. They bought fair, him fair, fair, true. But um, he like, in terms of playing style, he's different from Havertz. Like, I always said that people thought that Havertz was 
someone that likes to operate kind of like deeper and be the creator, but like he's the off the ball runner guy. Whereas um, Verts is way more kind of tricky and way more like, yeah, um, creative as, as well, I'd say. And he's no, just- a little, more, a little more passing focused than Havertz is definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. so yeah. Alexis, um, those three, I don't know if you've seen much or any of them. I've is- seen Musiala from Bayern. Um, yeah. I like the player. Um, yeah. I like how direct he is, how comfortable. I, I always judge a player about when they have the ball in possession, how yeah. comfortable they look. Yeah. But that's just because I like aesthetically pleasing games to watch. I don't, I don't like those wingers that get their head down and just run. I like someone that takes the little touches, the extra touches. So he's one of those players that, that I'm, I get impressed with. Mm-hmm. The other two, I'll be honest, I've hardly seen anything. Uh, fair play, fair play. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, basically we covered most of it. We just want to end on the Lampard thing because Lampard, we never know what's going on behind the scenes. But obviously, it's come out from one of the journalists that he turned on Christopher Palace job. Seemed like he was going to take the Norwich job. Even Harry Rennap was on radio and he, without saying it, because obviously that's his like, nephew, um, he kind of, he was talking like Lampard already was the manager, but it didn't materialise and now Dean Smith is the manager. So Lampard's rejected those two jobs. Now, obviously, Rodgers is being linked with Man United and so perhaps maybe for actually he can get a lesser job. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on Lamps's the fact that he didn't take the Norwich job and just the kind of whole situation in general. We'll start with Buzzy and it will end up on Alexis. I don't blame him for not, we, we talked about this in the group chat, but for all the listeners, um, I, I don't blame him for not taking the Norwich job. It's not It's not necessarily an impossible job. And in some sense, it's a free hit that like, well, they're expected to go down. So if they get relegated, it's not really on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in his position where his reputation was, was hurt by Chelsea, um, at, at least his second season, um, I would be very hesitant to take a job where you're more than more than not likely to go down or, or set up to fail even. Um, Cause that's, that's kind of a hard way to prove that like you do have what it takes and like yeah. optics wise just doesn't, doesn't look great. So um, if you did really turn it down, I'm not too surprised at the same time, I am a little unclear what, uh, what job he is waiting for. Yeah. Um, the palace job should have been a good fit. Um, if it is true that he turned it down, that's, that's a little surprising. Um, I think, Maybe he thinks because he's a very confident uh, kind of guy who backs himself and who thinks his profile is very is very high. That like after being at a club at Chelsea, he should only be taking big jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think his experience because we, we, we can all agree that that was a big quick jump for him. Yeah. Um, I don't think his experience actually should have him in any really major managing role anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I mean, I get why he turned it down. I'm not sure. I think the Athletic Two ran an article that was very similar to our discussion that was like what 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 job is he waiting for like what yeah. is the perfect job and and talked about some past managers who kind of waited too long and the game kind of passed yeah. them by they their their cachet kind of kind of dropped because they've been out of the game um yeah. like who's going to come hiring for lampard in, in three seasons um yeah. i don't think i don't think you know it's at the point yet where it's like he's untouchable as a manager hire but it's kind of getting to that point it's like what have you been doing what are you waiting for yeah. um I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't want to manage outside of england that right. seems he seems very set. I don't even know if he would consider a championship job at this point. So <laughs> I'm not really clear what he's waiting for. Um, I, I think maybe if a mid-table club opened up now, he would reconsider. Um, yeah. But, yeah. For me, it was weird that he went like it seemed like he went all the way down the line with Norwich. If if he kind of considered the situation, said that actually this isn't for me, then he, I don't understand why he seemed to have gone all the way down the line. Perhaps I kind of mentioned it. Perhaps he saw Gerard get Villa. 
and it kind of changed the scope of it because if Gerard is outperforming him, it's just the optics doesn't look well. Um, perhaps it's the Leicester job as well. Um, but I have been... Surely he can't get the Leicester job. Yeah. Like, surely. Yeah, that would you be... Don't, you don't go from Rodgers to Lampard and, like, Rodgers is a proper good manager. Like, yeah. I think he's maybe in the 90th percentile of world managers. That's how good he is. Yeah. He, so you don't go from a proper coach, X's and O's tactician to Frank Lampard, who's raw. He's mm. like, and this is what I find very interesting. If he went down with Norwich, no one would have held that against him. But if he didn't come up with Norwich, his reputation was ruined. Mm. Because the Falk, I think his name is, he got yeah. them up twice and, and he did yeah. it playing a great style of football. So Frank had to compete with that. So I understand. But then the Palace job, Vieira is way more qualified. So yeah. I don't understand what Palace... No, they, only, they only offered it to Vieira after Lampard turned it down. Um, yeah, which blows my mind because Vieira's had, I think, three jobs yeah. prior to that job. But, so, and they haven't been great from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, but it, he didn't he do tremendous well. well. I, I think, yeah, from what I've heard, he did well. Like He showed at Nice like, the feedback. Again, I'm not going to pretend that I was watching it at that. I don't really have the kind of contemporary uh, perspective, but the feedback was that he did well um, at Nice, but then the feedback was that Lampard did well in the first season at Chelsea too. I think with Lampard, what I'll give him is that as a player, um, it was almost like a seasonal thing for him to step back and analyse his game to see what was wrong. And then he improved on it. And from what we're hearing, it just might be, you know, media buzz that is trying to help him um, to help raise his reputation because it's, I think it's taken a knock the fact that he, he's turned down these jobs. And people are asking that people, I think, are getting a little bit curious as to why he's kind of stumbling. Do you know, like the skipping rope and it's like you're waiting to come in and it's like, why are you just just jump in? Um, yeah, he's letting people yeah. jump ahead. Yeah, he's letting people jump ahead. But so I think I've, I, there's been stories coming out that he's visiting managers and he's, you know, looking at teams like Atlanta and stuff like that. But um, Gerard as well. I don't I don't think it was to Lampard, but in his first interview, he was saying that he. He, he took up a while doing the Liverpool under 18 job because he wanted to learn in the dark. Um, and I think you do learn from like practicals. But Lampard has learned at the biggest club. I said this in the group chat. If I was Lampard and I could do it all again, would I go to Chelsea 100%? Because he's experienced what it, needs to be, what it means to be a manager at the very highest level. Like to do now, it's kind of almost painted what it should have painted to him anyway what is required to be a top manager? Because he's seen top managers, he's played against them, he's been at a club with all that pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And so what he should be doing is working his way so that when he's there again, he's well prepared. Whatever his next decision is, I just hope it's not an ego play and it's just to follow that thing. Because again, as a player, you look at himself every single season to see where he's improved. And so I think he's probably doing that again. Um, does he yeah, do- If he has to go slightly below his level and or what he perceives to be his level and... Just yeah. pad out his CV with actual years of management at a decent club, even if it's a championship side. Like he's so do that. He's so ambitious. He would, yeah. he would definitely take the Leicester job if it comes available. Oh, oh he would absolutely. And then the Nexus will be watching it with popcorn and a bated breath. I'm sure. Yeah, that would be. In addition to what you said about going from Rodgers to Lampard, I just think they're in such a crucial position in their, in their the the club itself in um, sort of its like stature. Like mm-hmm. this is the time to capitalize on it and solidify yourself as either a top consistent top four defender uh, contender or even a title contender like 
you push on here and you try to lock yourself yeah. into the new sort of upper tier. Like well, you can't hire a, yeah. basically a novice. And, yeah. and but the thing is, not we're novice. saying that, right? But who does he go to in the current Premier League and he's an upgrade on their manager? I'm literally struggling to think right now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's, it is difficult. But the thing is with this, these managers, and actually I think it's changing a little bit. Um, maybe not with the Steven Gerrard um, appointment, but it does... Before, it was just, like, don't forget, Crystal Palace went for Lampard ahead of Vieira. So these people that are in charge aren't necessarily the best headhunters. And so people kind of, and this is why Buzzy said before, if you leave it too long, then you're not going to get a job. Because usually when people think, when someone gets sacked, people just think about, okay, who's around, who's in the job? And right now, Lampard will be a name that comes to mind. Later on, Lampard won't be a name that comes to mind. So it's not necessarily that people are picking the most like skilled coaches usually it's like the the names that come to mind and so I, I do think Lampard can get a job in the Premier League just because I think that a lot of chairmen are lazy like that but I think it's changing the title's changing I think the, the Premier League have some of the best managers in the world and I think like with Man United they're looking around thinking oh shit <laughs> we've got Oli competing with Tuchel and Pep and all this type of stuff so I, I do think there's an increased like, that, that's like a domino down the Premier League where everybody's trying to get uh, you know these expert managers and stuff like that. Leicester, don't forget they had was it Claude Puel before? I don't know his history, but like they they got lucky with Rogers and they are good at scouting. So hopefully they if Rogers does leave, they do scout for an excellent manager. But I wouldn't be surprised if they get David Lampard. Yeah, me neither. Especially right now, they're not they're not doing as as well as they were. Maybe they're like yeah, Rogers leaves, they're tempted to try something different. I don't know. Yeah, looking at the table. There's uh, maybe three teams I could see him maybe what, going to. What I will say is that Lampard at Derby, at, he kept them, I think, wherever the manager before finished, I think that he finished in the same place. I think it was sixth, yeah. Yeah, and then he came to Chelsea, and then he, even though it was fast, like, worse in terms of points, we did finish in the same position as Sari first season. Obviously, it went completely wrong and um, under the second season, but that kind of shows that maybe that Lampard can keep Leicester on that same, maybe he can keep them on that same, at least round about the fifth, sixth area. But, but with that being said, we'll close the pod here. Thank you so much uh, for joining us once again, Alexis. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. No problem. And then Buzzy, uh, yeah, it's always good to have you on. You're way more articulate and way more popular than the rest of us. Listen, <laughs> thank you for listening. And we'll be back again next week. The greatest night in the history of Chelsea Football Club. European champions. Sports Social Podcast Network.